Hello, Mzanzi. Welcome to episode 364 of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. My name is Duncan Masiwa, and I'm your host for this episode powered by AgriSA Enterprises. Now, following a successful 2023, AgriSA Enterprises is ready to roll out phase three of their Women in Farming program. In this episode, Project Manager Marilee Prenzluer and Project Administrator Aisha Dala talk successes in Phase 2 of the Women in Farming program, lessons learned, and some of the specific objectives and goals that have been set for Phase 3. Marilee, Aisha, thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely having you on the platform. Such a pleasure. Thank you, Duncan, and all the listeners. Thank you for having us, Duncan. Fantastic. Marilee, I'll start with you. Quickly introduce yourself, briefly outline the role you play within the Women in Farming program. My name is Marily Prinsler. I am currently acting as the project manager for AgriSA Enterprises, mostly overseeing the implementation, the monitoring and the evaluation of programs and projects in the Rural Development Division. Fantastic. Aisha? My name is Aisha Dala and my main role is storytelling within the program. I ensure that the funder, Momentum Metropolitan, is met with a picture of how well their farmers are doing and how the funds are being utilized. And I suppose both those roles are quite important in terms of, you know, monitoring the success of the project and the initiative that AgriSA Enterprise is currently running. Marilee, it's 2024. We're talking women in farming phase three rollout. I'm sure, you know, you're all quite excited about this at the office. What can we expect from this phase? What will the ladies be getting up to? Are there any new features or changes that we can expect in phase three of the program? Whereas phase one focused on training 60 participants in the Women in Farming program on the development of a business idea and submission of a subsequent business plan. Phase two focused on strategic mentorship towards the actual implementation of the 10 winning business plans that was selected from phase one. And I mean development into productive farming enterprises with newly attained markets. Now, if we look at phase three, this will mostly focus on the further development of specifically the business management skills of each of the 10 winning businesses by teaching them to scale and also reinvest in their current enterprises. Now, in addition to this for phase three, the idea is that the ladies will not only focus on increasing their farming output and markets, but that they become sellers of their skills through offering agricultural training and development interventions to their surrounding communities. And by doing this, each of the 10 businesses will then become a driver of skills transfer, education and change in their direct circle of impact. That's quite impressive. If phase two of the program is anything to go by, I'm definitely sure that phase three will also offer some success stories in that share some of the lessons learned from the previous phase that potentially influenced the phase three approach? Firstly, I'd say a proper communication channels between the various stakeholders. In other words, the implementation partners, the mentors and the beneficiaries. This is of utmost importance to make any program a success. Secondly, we learned that clearly defined roles and responsibilities as well as defining the expectations of the implementation partners, mentors, and beneficiaries uh, should be outlined prior to the kickoff of the program. This we are doing now through a well-structured induction phase 
and a baseline analysis for each business, even before program implementation. And then lastly, I'd say we learned the importance of obtaining true buy-in and commitment from the participants. In other words, to really work hard, bring your part, cooperate and push through, even when conditions and situations get tough along your journey. Marilee and Aisha, if there's anything I've learned about developmental work within the agricultural space is that it cannot be done without collaborations and partnerships. In addressing challenges during the previous phase, being phase two, can you elaborate on you know specific support systems, collaborations or partnerships that have proven crucial in enhancing the program's resilience? Besides the partnership between AgriSA Enterprises and the funders of the program, the specific mentor assigned to the ladies, namely Tabo Willifir, really stood out. He was extremely dedicated to the development of each business and took interest in each member personally as well. So his motivational skills, his technical skills, his mentorship skills, and the overall support that he provided the ladies proved to be a winning recipe for the Women in Farming program, causing it to be such a great success. Then other partnership examples includes the one of Kanyesili Zulu, who was approached by the Nkutu Agriculture Extension Officer in KZN to offer training in crop and poultry production to local and adjacent communities. And then also Menentle Mbuyazi, who actively took part in the Agricultural Research Council trials on maize production. And these are just to name a few. What were some of the highlights and key achievements during phase two of the Women in Farming program? Well, regarding key achievements, it is with great pleasure that we can say that all 10 of the phase one winning businesses that proceeded to phase two resulted in successful businesses after the phase two close off, thus becoming self-reliant agripreneurs, each on their own specific scale of operation, of course. Even through hardships, for instance, adverse weather conditions, forced changes in farming locations and some internal shuffling in their business structures. These ladies just pushed through and made a success of their businesses. So we're very proud of them. Now, although all were successful, three specific stories stood out to me. That of Kanyesile Zulu, Pinky Mahai and Tola Sibisi. Now, Kanyesile Zulu initially attempted vegetable production, but when she faced real challenges in finding water, she refocused the business on broiler production and now plans to double her current capacity from 300 chickens to 600 chickens. She even participated in some research initiatives and while her core business is selling live chickens, she has now also expanded her business to supply slaughtered chickens on demand. Then Pinky Mahai, also producing vegetables and chicken, as she was recently able to buy a light delivery vehicle with the proceeds from her chicken sales. In addition to this, she is offering contracting services for irrigation installations to other farmers in her surrounds and households, which is now obviously made much more manageable by the light delivery vehicle that she was able to buy. And then lastly, Kola Sibisi is an example of a farmer who initially started with vegetable farming, but then she realized that she's got a, a far greater passion for training and development in her community. And she's currently using her primary crop production site as a practical training site. And she procured resources such as a big screen monitor, a laptop, and additional equipment as an investment to get her training business to a next level. 
So those are the three that stood out for me. Marily, you can't see it, but I'm literally doing a little happy dance hearing you talk about these beautiful success stories. It's always so heartwarming to hear how farmers are able to level up in their farming businesses, but not just the positive being for their businesses, but also being for the community at large and, and seeing the positive spin-offs there. So fantastic work that you guys are doing there. Aisha, what are some of the specific objectives and goals that have been set for phase three? Marley alluded earlier that phase three is slightly different. Tell us about that and how do these align with the broader goals of the Women in Farming initiative? So I think with phase three, the main objective and what makes it different to the other phases is that farmers must be able to use the revenue they generated in the previous phases and reinvest it into their enterprise. The difference is that at this time, the funder might consider matching that amount. And for us, that highlights the importance of creating a business that can sustain itself. The main focuses besides that are also the fact that, like I mentioned, the business owners have to reinvest in their businesses with proceeds from phase two. They will continue receiving ongoing mentorship from Tabo Olifir, as Marali has mentioned. And lastly, they will develop their business management skills with this phase. I've said it once, what AgriSA Enterprises have created here is potentially the blueprint of what farmer development in South Africa should be looking like, looking at the different phase approach that you've taken. Are there any innovative approaches or technologies being introduced in phase three? With phase three, we're trying to transition the mentor table into a monitor, which will ensure the women are more independent this time and can run their enterprises with little to no intervention from the mentor. Another thing is the reinvestment concept. It's the first time this approach will be taken in this program. And the biggest focus in this phase is not on production as per se, but rather on business management skills and training facilities that the participants can perhaps run in their communities. That definitely sounds impressive. Marily, a little birdie told me that you are a food safety expert. What linkage have you identified between food safety and primary agriculture in your role as a project manager in the program. A very important focus point of the Women in Farming program was mentoring the participants to attain food security through their businesses. In other words, to increase the availability and the access to enough affordable and nutritious food on a daily basis. What we try to install during the mentorship sessions with the ladies is that food safety goes hand in hand with food security not only during food processing downstream, but also during the primary agricultural production or growing of food on the farm that the ladies were busy with every day. So the program taught them that there is no use in achieving food security when the produce that you supply is not also safe to consume. In other words, what I mean by this is when your farming produce poses a risk to the health and the well-being of consumers, by introducing physical contaminants, for instance, for example, pieces of glass, plastic, stones, sticks, etc., or biological contaminants, for instance, disease-causing bacteria like the well-known E. coli from dirty hands or dirty water or salmonella from bird droppings, or lastly, by maybe introducing chemical contaminants like pesticide or herbicide residues, then you will start losing consumers or customers and subsequently also income. Hygiene and food safety, that's a thin line that can be drawn throughout all primary agriculture and secondary production and processing phases, or as they so often say, from farm to fork. 
And this is the understanding that we try to bring through the Women in Farming program regarding practical food safety. It's definitely encouraging to hear that food safety is a key pillar of the Women in Farming initiative. Oftentimes, it's easy to focus on the yield of your crop or your commodity and not the quality thereof. It's quite encouraging to hear that this is a a key area for the project. Aisha, I want to pivot quickly. There's a growing emphasis on storytelling for sponsors and funders. How is the Women in Farming team strategically incorporating storytelling into its approach to actually align with the preferences of sponsors or funders who value this narrative method? How it works is that the team or the participants, as per se, are constantly requested to send progress pictures on a weekly basis on any activities happening on the farm, detailing with explanations as to what's going on and how the MMF funds are being used to perhaps fund operations or purchase inputs. It's very important for us to tell the story of how the program is actually impacting these individuals and their communities and their households, rather than only showcasing their production figures. Marilee and Aisha, I've had a great time hearing about some of the success stories in phase two and also how that contributed to some of the specific objectives and goals of phase three. Any final comments or words from the both of you? Yes, I would like to use this opportunity to acknowledge and thank the Momentum Metropolitan Foundation and the AgriCita for funding the Women in Farming program since inception through its various phases of implementation up till now. Thank you so much. I would like to congratulate the 10 participants for their progress and getting through phase two, as well as encourage them to continue persisting throughout phase three and make a meaningful impact in their communities. Thank you so much, Marily Prinsler, Project Manager at AgriSA Enterprises, along with Project Administrator Aisha Dala. You can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And that's a wrap. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Duncan Masua, our technical producer, Megan van der Fen, and the rest of Hashtag Team Food for Mzanzi, thanks for listening.